0: Have you ever taken the time to consider the question, what is light? What is light? You might not know this, but some scientists insist that light is a particle, while others are convinced that light is a wave. There are those who have concluded that light is both particle and wave, while others are convinced that light is neither particle nor wave for this reason that light has been described as being the most mysterious of all things that we know to exist. And in order to add to the complexity of this mystery, it's important to note that the God who created everything created light before he created the sun. How interesting is that? As a matter of fact, it's in Genesis chapter one where we learn about the order of creation. And while it's true that the Lord created light on the very first day of creation, it's also true that he created the sun on day four. With that being the case, we're still left with the question, what is light? The complexity of this question is further compounded by the fact that there isn't just one type of light, and I'm certainly not referring to Anheuser-Busch. I'm certainly not talking about bud light. No, no I'm, I'm talking about the various kinds of light. For example, there's natural light that shines upon the entire creation. And at the same time, there is spiritual light that shines upon the immaterial nature of the soul. With all this in mind, we're going to spend our time today considering what it means then to live in the light of the Lord. And as we make our way through the text before us today, we'll begin to see, first of all, that those who live in the light of the Lord are watchful. Secondly, we'll learn that those who live in the light of the Lord are mindful. Thirdly and finally, we'll learn that those who live in the light of the Lord are hopeful. With this as our outline, let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here we find Paul, he's encouraging every Christian to live in the light of the Lord. As you make your way to the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. I'll remind you, it was in our study last week when we learned about the way that every unbeliever is actually suppressing the spiritual truth of the Lord. And not only that, but we also considered how those who are suppressing the truth of the Lord are then blinded by their unbelief. And as a result, the day of the Lord is going to catch them off guard like a thief in the night. Well, knowing that we all know unbelievers that we care for and love, uh, we all know unbelievers who are suffering from Spiritual blindness caused by their own unbelief, Paul goes on here to encourage every Christian then to live in the light of the Lord so that we can help them to see our Savior, Jesus. And with this as the goal, let's pick up our study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 5 because here Paul declares, "'You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness.'" Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Here in our text today, we find Paul. He's presenting the Christians there in Thessalonica with a contrast between the unbelievers who were living in spiritual darkness... And the believers who were living in the light of the Lord, according to Paul, those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not only living in the light of the Lord, but every born again believer has become sons of light and sons of the day. And with that being the case, we're no longer being blinded by the spiritual darkness of sinful depravity. Isn't that incredible? those who trust in Jesus Christ are no longer blinded by the spiritual darkness of sinful depravity. I like the way that the scholars who created the new living translation rendered verse five. Here's how they put it for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. Christian listen at the very moment when we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, We were born again. In other words, we were born from above. We were born of the Spirit. And it's in the very same second when we became the adopted children of God. That's right. Just because we're born on this earth doesn't mean that we're the children of God. It's by faith in Jesus Christ that we become the adopted children of God. And seeing how our Heavenly Father is also known as the Father of Lights well, then we can rejoice in knowing that the adopted children of God have become children of the light and of the day. Well, with this in mind, it'll help you to know that the Greek word, which here is rendered light, it's not only used in reference to the luminous photons that fill the atmosphere with waves of radiating particles, but the same Greek word was also used in reference to the pure light that emanates from the glorious presence of our God. We might call this the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Here in Austin, we might call it the Chicano glory of the Lord, but that's that's for you to decide. But listen, the, the light of the Lord is not only a manifestation of glorious illumination, but the Lord also then uses his spiritual light to purify because that's what light does. Light purifies. Not only that, but light provides us with guidance. Light can can provide us with the ability to see before us. And so the light of the Lord guides those who walk by faith with Jesus, who is the light. It's for this reason that the apostle John directs us then to walk in the light of the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's in first John chapter one there, the apostle John declares, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. From this, we can see that God is a a glorious being from whom flows the infinite emanations of spiritual light. And while it's true that this is the spiritual light by which believers are cleansed from all sin, well, it's also true that this is also the spiritual light by which God guides us. He guides us with this spiritual light so that we enter into fellowship with Christ and with Christ's church. In this sense, the word light, it refers to the way in which the Holy Spirit of God enlightens our minds. And as he enlightens our minds with his light, he helps us to navigate the narrow path of faith that's before us. He helps us to see where we're going. In order to further grasp my point, I want to take a closer look at our text today. And so if you would look with me again here at First Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll back up and begin reading once again at verse 5. Here Paul declares, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober rather than stumbling around in spiritual darkness like those who are still lost and blinded by their unbelief, Paul calls the children of light to become believers who are watchful. He tells us to become those who are watchful. And for the sake of clarity, it'll help you to know that the Greek word, which is rendered watch there in the middle of verse 6, well, it's used in a metaphorical sense of those who give strict attention to someone or something. The watchful person is giving strict attention to what they're looking at. The same word was also used of those who take heed in order to avoid some sort of danger or destruction. With that, I want to consider how the word watch is used by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's there where he declares, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Paul calls us here to watch, to to take heed to what's before us so that we can stand fast, so so we can stand strong. The children of light have been called to give strict attention to where we're standing. We're to watch the way that we live our lives rather than being led about by our fleeting feelings or our imperfect passions. We've been called to take heed to the way that we, that we live our lives so that we might continue to live in the light of the Lord. The minute we start, you know, or, or stop watching, the, the minute we stop watching so that we can stand fast, we start wandering off the narrow path, next thing you know, we're back in darkness. So we've got to watch. And as we watch, we walk in the light of the Lord, and in this way, we become brave believers who are standing in the strength of our Savior. And not only that, but we also become wise believers who understand the signs of the times as we watch to see what's happening in the world around us. This is precisely the point that the Lord Jesus made in Mark chapter 13. There he declares, take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to some, no, he doesn't say this to some. He says this to all. He says this to everyone. What he says to to his disciples there in the first century, he says to us here in the 21st century that we need to watch. Christian, listen, we don't know the day nor the hour when the Lord will catch us away. And it's for this reason that Christ Jesus calls us to keep watching. We are to watch and keep watching like a servant who is waiting for his master to return. If the servant is waiting for his master to return, then when does he stop watching? When the master returns. And so we should watch like a servant waiting on his master. With this as the goal, we should stay alert. Watching and and examining the signs of the times in which we live. As we continue to look forward to the rapture of the church, we need to continue to consider what's happening in the world in light of biblical prophecy. And in this way, we are able to watch... And at the same time, Paul calls us to stay sober as we wait for the day when we're finally caught away. And with this in mind, let's take another look here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to draw your attention back to verse 6, because here Paul declares, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. That word sober was translated from a Greek word which speaks of those who are calm, calm cool, and collected. We're not all stressed out about the things happening in this world. Not only that, but the same word was also used of those who are sensible, self-controlled, and circumspect. Furthermore, the same word was used of those who abstain from alcohol in order to be sober. And with all this in mind, we can see how those who live in the light of the Lord Well, they are those who will stay sober, so that we can, you know, remain watchful, looking forward to the day when we're finally caught away. I like the way that Jesus summed it all up in Matthew chapter twenty-six. It's there where he declares, "Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation." The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is indeed willing but the flesh is weak. Christian, listen, the Lord has called the children of light to stay alert with prayerful vigilance, knowing that our fallen flesh is still very weak. And it doesn't take much for us to stumble back into sin. And listen, the temptation to sin is always present. Sin is always knocking at the door. And while the spirit is willing to walk in the light, the flesh loves the darkness. And this is the daily battle that we all find ourselves facing. Knowing that the servants of our savior have been called to live in the light of the Lord. Well, we must stay sober and watchful as we pray for the power that we need to overcome the sinful desires that would lead us back into the darkness of depravity. Now, this brings us to our second point, because listen, those who live in the light of the Lord are not only watchful, but those who live in the light of the Lord are also mindful. Now, with this as the focus, let's continue to consider the way that Paul described the children of light. And so if you would, let's back up here in first Thessalonians chapter five, I want to begin reading once again at verse six. Here, Paul declares, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, here in these verses, we find Paul, he's continuing to describe the difference between those who are dwelling in the darkness of depravity and those who are living in the light of the Lord. According to Paul, the children of light are awake. Sober and watchful. Those who dwell in spiritual darkness are asleep and, you know, unaware of what's happening. The children of light are sober and therefore sensible, self-controlled and circumspect, while those who dwell in spiritual darkness are deceived by the spirits of intoxication. In order to further grasp Paul's point, let's take a closer look there at verse 7, because here, again, Paul declares for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. In other words, nighttime is the right time for believers to be sleeping. The reason why is because we're to be awake and sober in the daytime. Now, listen, this is not to suggest that those who work the night shift are automatically sinning. You know, if you have to work a night shift, you know, and you have to stay up all night, you know, I don't think that God's up in heaven looking down on you thinking that you're a big sinner. No, that's not what he's talking about here. And yet, you know, there should be no doubt that those who tend to sleep the day away are typically tired all day because they were out sinning all night. So setting aside those who are just working a night shift, what, what Paul is talking about are those who spend the night getting drunk, going and partying, and so they're tired all day, and so they sleep when they should be awake and working. That being the case, Paul encouraged those who are children of light to become sober believers who are of the day. As a matter of fact, look with me again there at verse 8. Here again, he declares, let us who are of the day be sober. In other words, you know, rather than staying out all night with those who are getting drunk, believers ought to be sleeping at night so that we can walk in the light of the day. Well, I don't think that believers ought to be legalistic about what time we should go to bed. I do think that the believer who fails to get a good night's sleep is more susceptible to the temptations of Satan while they're awake. The reason I say this is because the tired mind is susceptible to deception. The tired mind is more easily deceived. To prove my point, I want to consider a statement of fact that's found in one scientific study, which is published in the National Library of Medicine, According to one study here the uh, you know alcohol use can affect the brain and the body in very complex ways which includes the potential of altering one's behaviors which lead then to negative outcomes. The same scientific study also informs us that alcohol is able to impair our judgment. Think about that for a moment. Alcohol impairs our judgment, leading one to engage in risky behaviors which can result in poor outcomes for one's health and social standing. As a former drunk, I can tell you that I've done my own scientific research in this area, and, and, and it's, it's true. Most of my worst decisions were made when I was drunk and high. That being the case, there should be no doubt that those who get drunk at night are making themselves more susceptible to the the deceptions of the devil and his demons. And and oftentimes those, you know, who are getting drunk or getting high, you know, they open themselves up to the deceptions of the devil. And as a result, they end up making many decisions that they wouldn't have made had they been asleep. In similar fashion, those who fail to get a good night's sleep, well, they're also making themselves more susceptible to Satan's lies. As a matter of fact, there are several studies that have shown how those who are sleep-deprived will suffer similar impairments as those who are intoxicated. There's several studies, uh, whether, you know, whether it's driving or, or various other things, where they've taken someone that has no you know, they're sleep-deprived, And they put them behind the wheel of the car and they find out what's going on, you know, and how quick they are to react and these sorts of things. According to the research, those who remain awake for at least 24 hours suffer the same level of cognitive impairment as those who have a blood alcohol content of 0.10%, which is a little bit higher than those who are considered to be legally drunk. What this means then is that the sleep deprived person is just as susceptible to deception as a drunk person. They're just as susceptible to the deceptions of the devil and his demons because, you know, in, in the, the sleep deprivation, uh, their judgment has been impaired. And, and it's for this reason that I think, you know, Christians ought to you know do their best to get a good night's sleep. I realize that's why some of you come to church on Sunday mornings, is to get a good, you know, night's sleep here. But uh, but if you get a good night's sleep Saturday night, then you can stay awake for the sermon on Sunday. I'm not that boring, I promise. Sadly, there are many Christians who are more susceptible to the schemes of Satan. And one reason why is because they just, they fail to get a good night's sleep. And while uh, there are times when this can't be avoided, for example, you know, a, a parent who's taking care of, uh, of their babies who are still in diapers, you know, that you can't just tell the baby, okay, we're putting you to bed. Now don't poop until the morning, you know, and that, it's just not, not going to happen. Parents have to get up and change diapers in, in the middle of the night. And that, that can't be avoided. And so there are, you know, reasons why some Christians might be, you know, sleep-deprived. But listen, many Christians are sleep-deprived simply because they just stay up all night playing video games. Now listen, I really haven't focused much on video games since Pitfall uh, and, and Frogger. But, uh, you know, so I don't, I don't understand the craze. I don't understand why so many people are addicted to video games. I, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I think about it when I'm riding my mountain bike, but, uh, you know... <laughs> I still don't understand it. But some people just stay up all night because they just, you know, they can't let that 13-year-old living in mom's basement, you know, get the best of them in Call of Duty or something like that. Okay, all right. You go show that 13-year-old what's up. Yeah, some Christians are sleep-deprived because of video games, of all things. Others are sleep-deprived because their porn addiction keeps them up all night. Or some are just addicted to social media, and it just keeps them scrolling all night because I got to see what everybody ate yesterday for lunch. I got to see all my friends pretending to be happy on social media. You know, and, and it's like this addiction that people can't put the phone down. God help us. That being the case, we'd all do well to heed the counsel that Paul presented here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's verse 8 again where he says, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Rather than living like those who dwell in darkness, rather than living like those who stay up all night partying and and sleeping during the day, the children of light will do their best to get a good night's sleep so that we can be sober-minded as we become those believers who are mindful of the enemy's attacks. If the enemy can convince us to impair our judgments in any number of ways, then we're more susceptible to his deceptions. And with that being the case, Paul encourages us here to put on the breastplate of faith and love. Knowing that the enemy is trying to attack us, we are to put on the breastplate of faith and love. And just to be clear, the breastplate was a piece of Roman armor that was used to protect the soldier's vitals, like the lungs and the heart and the other organs that are necessary for life, or so the doctors tell me you might be interested to know that many ancient Jews believed that the soul was actually located in the lungs because that's where the breath of life was placed into Adam. And so they thought, you know, the, the soul actually exists within the lungs. And so in this sense, Paul's saying, Hey, put on the breastplate to protect what? Well, it's a spiritual breastplate. So we're talking about the soul to protect the soul. Other ancients believed that the soul was located within the bowels, which I will refrain from all jokes from this point forward. Okay, just, just two. But, uh, get it? Anyway, so, with all this in mind, listen, there should be no doubt that Paul was encouraging the children of light to protect the immaterial heart Of the soul with the breastplate of faith in Jesus and our love for the Lord. It's faith in Jesus and our love for the Lord that protects our soul. It protects our spiritual vitals. And in this way, we're able to guard our hearts against the attacks of the enemy, even when we might be a little impaired due to a lack of sleep. At the same time, we must not fail to notice there at the end of verse 8 where Paul encouraged us to put on the hope of salvation like a helmet. Now, we're going to consider more about the hope of salvation when we get to our third point. But for now, I simply want to point out that the helmet of a Roman soldier, it was worn to protect their head and ultimately their brain. You know, a, a, a sword wound to the brain, <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't work out well for the soldier. And seeing how the immaterial mind of man is directly affected by our brain matter, well then those who wear the helmet of salvation are simultaneously safeguarding their minds against the attack of the enemy. So we're to put on the the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation uh, so that we can protect our hearts and our minds from the enemy. And in order to further grasp Paul's point, I want to consider the complete list of armor uh, that we've received from the Lord. And with this as the focus, hold your place here in 1 Thessalonians and let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Now, As you make your way to the 13th chapter of Romans, I just want to take a moment to point out The Lord has actually provided us with the spiritual armor that we need so that we can take a stand against the schemes of Satan. Not only that, but listen, this is also the armor that protects our immaterial heart against evil desires. At the same time, this is the armor that protects our immaterial mind from the evil thoughts that could lead us back into the darkness of depravity. And while there are several pieces of armor listed in the book of Ephesians, I just want to consider how Paul sums it all up here in Romans chapter 13. So if you would look with me there, beginning at verse 11, here Paul declares, "...it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light." Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Here in these verses, we find Paul, he's challenging the Christians at the church in Rome to cast off the works of darkness so that we can put on the armor of light. This is the full armor of God. And he calls it the armor of light. And then to be clear about this, Paul elaborates on these instructions by encouraging us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be clothed with his righteousness. We've been called to become believers who are living in the light of the Lord. And as we put on the armor of light, Our Messiah helps us to become mindful believers who are walking circumspectly. I like the way that Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 5. It's there where he declares, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil listen, those who put on the armor of light by faith in Jesus Christ, well, we end up receiving the light that we need to begin walking circumspectly, accurately, with, with great forethought, with every step that we take, mindfully considering the path that the Lord is illuminating before us. In this way, the Lord will not only provide us with the armor we need to guard our hearts and minds against the attacks of the enemy, but he will also help us to become mindful believers who are able to navigate the narrow path that the Lord has placed before us. And in this way, those who live in the light of the Lord will walk in a way that is in line with the truth of his holy word. Now, this brings us to our third and final point because listen, those who live in the light of the Lord are not only watchful and we're not only mindful believers, but those who live in the light of the Lord are also hopeful believers. And with this as the focus, let's make our way now back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here we find Paul, he's elaborating on the hope that we have as we continue to live in the light of the Lord. And if you would look with me again here, beginning at verse 8. Here again, Paul declares, Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, We should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Now, as we take a closer look at these verses, we must not fail to notice how the children of light are filled with heavenly hope. We've been called to put on the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. Now, as we consider the meaning of this word hope, it'll help you to know that this this hope of salvation, which protects our minds like a helmet, is based on this word hope, uh, which is translated from a Greek word, which in a Christian context, it refers to the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Do you have a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation? Or are you still wondering if you're going to end up in hell? Because those who become children of light, we have the helmet, which is the hope of salvation, which fills our hearts with the hope, which is a joyful and confident expectation that we will be saved. And this is a joyful and confident expectation that brightens even the worst of days. Even on the very worst of days, the Christian can say, hey, at least I'm not going to hell. As bad as it is today, at least I know it's going to get better when I enter into the presence of my Savior. This is the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation that fills our hearts with hope. And listen, this is a a, a hope that has been appointed to us. As a matter of fact, look with me again there at verse 9. Here again, we learn that God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word appoint, it's translated from a Greek word, which in this context, it speaks of that which is set and fixed, established, and even ordained. In light of this definition, we can see that the children of light have been ordained to obtain salvation, which in turn frees us from the condemnation of the law. Think about that. We have been appointed, even ordained, to obtain eternal salvation, which frees us from the condemnation of the law. Now, if that doesn't fill your heart with hope, I don't know what will. The children of light have been ordained to obtain eternal salvation, which in turn frees us from the, from the everlasting condemnation of the law. And the reason why is because listen, the Lord Jesus already received the condemnation that we deserve for all the sins we've committed. As a matter of fact, I want to take another look at the point that Paul is making here in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's back up and look at verse 9 again. Here again, Paul declares, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. According to Paul, those who have become the children of light will obtain eternal salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because the Lord Jesus Christ was appointed to die for us. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ then you've been appointed unto eternal salvation because he was appointed to condemnation on your behalf. Christ Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who was predestined to be slain for our sins. And he is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. This is a decision that God the Father made in eternity past. Knowing that we would need a savior, the Father sent his son to be slain for us. So that those who trust in him can be set free from the condemnation of the law. And with that being the case, those who will trust in Jesus, well, you'll end up with a heart that's filled with hope as you realize that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because Jesus was already condemned for us. And the condemnation that we deserve, Jesus received so that we could receive the salvation that we don't deserve. I like the way that Paul sums it all up in Colossians chapter one. It's there where he declares Christ in you, the hope of glory. Those who have received Jesus Christ into their hearts by faith in his finished work now have the hope of glory. In other words, we have the hope of salvation, which will eventually result in our eternal glorification. That that glorification occurs as we receive our brand new resurrected bodies in which uh, we will stand perfectly in the presence of our perfect Savior and worship him perfectly forevermore. And listen, this is true regardless of whether we're awake or asleep. The children of light, whether we're awake or asleep, we can take comfort in knowing that that we are filled with the hope of knowing that we will always live together with our Savior, Jesus Christ. He lives in our hearts today, Christian, and we will live with him forevermore. At the moment of our resurrection. And it's for this reason that Paul encouraged us to comfort one another with these words. As a matter of fact, look with me again there at verse 11. Here again, Paul declares, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Now, that word comfort is translated from the same Greek word that Paul used back in chapter 4 when he directed the Christians in Thessalonica to comfort one another with the doctrine of the rapture. He talked about the church being caught away to meet the Lord in the air, and he, and he instructed them to comfort one another with these words, and then he goes on to talk about living in the light of the Lord, and then he wraps it all up by saying, so, so comfort one another and edify one another with all this information. He's summing up this section of scripture by encouraging his audience once again to comfort and edify one another so that every Christian might be established by the same hope of our salvation. Because sadly, you know, there are some who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and yet every day is like a roller coaster ride. And some days they feel confident in their salvation and some days they doubt it and they're they're wondering if they lost their salvation. And I blame bad theology. But listen, if you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he's covered you with his righteousness. He's already received the punishment that you deserve. So we can have the assurance of our salvation. And in this, we ought to have great hope. Our hearts should be filled with hope in the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. And therefore, we can just look forward to the day when the children of light are finally caught away in order to meet the Lord there in the air. At the same time, though, it's also important for us to realize that those who are rejecting Jesus Christ, they have no hope in their hearts. And the reason why is because they're still dwelling in spiritual darkness. They're still blinded by their unbelief. And it's for this reason that the children of light must shine the light of the Lord in the way that we live our lives. And to prove my point, I want to consider something that Jesus says in John chapter 12. So turn with me to John 12. And as you make your way to the 12th chapter of John's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the only way to become the adopted children of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way to God, the father is by faith in Jesus Christ. And while it's true that there is no condemnation for those who have become the children of light by faith in Jesus Christ, it's also true that those who are still dwelling in darkness will eventually be condemned according to the righteous standard of God's word. I want to consider how Jesus puts it here in John chapter 12. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 44. Here Jesus cries out and says, he who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Here in these verses, we find Christ Jesus presenting us with uh, another distinction between those who are living in the light of the Lord and those who are still, still dwelling in darkness. And while those who are living in the light of the Lord will not abide in darkness those who reject the invitation of the Lord Jesus, they will eventually dwell in eternal darkness according to the judgment of his holy word. And it's sad to say that those who are choosing to dwell in darkness today will be cast into everlasting darkness if they don't repent. You might not know this, but the lake of fire is also described as outer darkness in several passages throughout the Bible. And while there has been some debate about the nature of this darkness, especially in light of the fact that the lake of fire is, well, a lake of fire, <laughs> and, and so, you know, you would assume that there would be a lot of light coming from this fire. So the, the question then for scholars to answer is, how can there be a lake of fire and darkness? There are several ideas about how to, you know, square this circle and whatnot. But uh, listen, the darkness of hell is a spiritual darkness. In the same way that we're talking about the light of the Lord is not this, you know, like the light that's coming off the sun, so to speak. The darkness in the lake of fire is not necessarily, you know, dealing with darkness how much light comes off the fire, but rather it's a, it's a spiritual absence. Uh, or, uh, ab, uh, it's, it's basically, uh, as I porky-pigged this, this word, abidi 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 Hell is absent of spiritual light. Knowing that the torments in the lake of fire are only compounded by the lack of spiritual light we'd all do well to make sure that we're leading the lost into the light of the Lord while we still have the opportunity to do so. This was precisely the point that the Lord Jesus was making in Matthew chapter five. It's there where he declares you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Christian, listen, those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's true, we've become the children of light. And with that being the case, it's sad to say that so many Christians are hiding that light from the world around them. They're trying to hide their Christian faith to try to fit in we've been called to live in the light and shine forth the light of our Savior so that others might be drawn to that light and so that they might be saved. What this means is that the children of light have been called to engage in good works as we openly serve our Savior. And not only that, but we've been then called to live in such a way that would cause the unbeliever to glorify our Father in heaven. In other words, we ought to be living in such a way that the unbelievers around us would come to me and say, why do you have hope in these dark days? Where is this source of hope coming from? We're on the verge of World War III. We're we're watching the, the, the American dollar collapse. We're watching, you know, prices go through the roof. And we're heading into this recession and all these sorts of things and the unbeliever should look at your light, uh, uh, the light in your life and wonder where all that hope is coming from. And they won't see that hope if we're grumbling and complaining and, and carrying on like the unbelievers around us. Our hearts should be filled with hope. And we should express that hope so that the unbelievers can see the light of the Lord in our lives and then come and ask us about the hope that is within us. And and to that, Peter tells us to be ready to give an apologetic answer to those who ask us about the reason for the hope that is within us. Those who want to shine the spiritual light of our Savior so that others can see it should live in the light of the Lord. And at the same time, listen, it's not enough to just be a good person. I don't don't want to hear, well, I'll just just live a good life, and, and that says enough. No, it doesn't. We've been called to live a good life and explain to people why. Because our Savior Jesus has changed us. Because we are new creations in Christ Jesus as he's turned us into children of light and you need to explain this to them with the gospel of grace. In this way, we not only glorify God for the way that he saves sinners, but we also help them to see the hope that we have as we take comfort in the sacrifice of our Savior by which sinners like us have been saved. With this as the goal, I encourage the children of light to live in the light of the Lord. And as we live in the light of the Lord, he will help us then to reflect the glorious light of our Savior. As we present every unbeliever with the reason for the hope that's found within our hearts. Now, as we begin to wrap up this study, it'll help us to remember that those who trust in Jesus Christ have become the children of light. And according to Paul, the children of light are those who are living in the light of the Lord. More specifically, those who live in the light of the Lord are watchful believers. Those who live in the light of the Lord are mindful believers. And those who live in the light of the Lord are hopeful believers. And with all this in mind, we should take a moment just to examine our own lives by asking, am I truly living in the light of the Lord? Am I truly living in the light of the Lord? Are you a believer who is watchful? Are you a Christian who is mindful and hopeful? Or are you still dwelling in darkness according to the deceptive doctrines of demons? If you aren't sure how to answer these questions, then I encourage you. Trust in the cross of Christ so that you can know. Trust in Jesus Christ so that you can be certain that you are a child of the light. And if you are certain that you've already placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you to remember we've become the children of light. And as the children of light, we've been called to become sober servants who are watchful believers. We've been called to put on the armor of light so that we can become mindful believers. And we've been called to comfort one another with the light of the Lord so that we might all become Hopeful believers. And in this way, the Holy Spirit will help us to become those believers who are truly living in the light of the Lord. Let's pray.